Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. My goodness, we're about to do this again and for another year, huh? (laughs) Good afternoon to you. Welcome. Good to have you with us for the first uh, live in-studio edition of Lifeline for a brand new week, brand new month, and a brand new year. It's the 4th of January for those of you either not capable of or (laughs) not interested in keeping count. A lot of folks, I think, are taking advantage of the holiday and taking a bit more time off this week. At least certainly seems to be evidenced by uh, road traffic today. So uh, whether you're sitting at home or sitting in traffic, delighted you're along for this edition of Lifeline. And we're going to we're going to try to start the new year outright, as the old saying goes, by uh, by addressing a couple of important issues. And um, a lot of this leads into the um, the reality that 2022, in addition to being a new year, is also a midterm election year. And that means our opportunity to once again be engaged in this business of self-governance. And I hope that you significantly are not just kind of going along with whatever the program seems to be established by Sacramento or Washington, D.C., and toward that end, a lot to learn about where we stand as a people today and the challenges that we are going to face in this new year, not just because it's an election year, not just because it's another COVID year, but it's just another year. Our good friend, CPA, lawyer, constitutional historian Bob Zadek will join us later on in the hour. We're going to talk a bit about False information, misinformation, and the power of propaganda, and just how dangerous that propaganda can be in the hands of the wrong government, or at least of the wrong government actors. It's a fascinating study in not just the history of propaganda, but also the way this is used as a very effective tool to not only manipulate the general public, but ultimately to manipulate Congress. And I bet you can guess that the one branch of government that's been the most adept at this, in addition to the executive branch, has been the United States military. We'll talk more about this when Bob Zadek joins us later on in this evening's program. We kick off the year as we sort of um, wrapped up the tail end of last year. We had some discussions pertaining to um, the so-called woke culture or the the tyranny of those that would wish to either overcomplicate absolutely everything or try to read meaning in to places where there is no secondary meaning, but they somehow manage to find it and create trouble anyway. One of the areas where this has been on an increasing basis, and we talked about this with Joe Murray last week, the arena of public education. And I think we need to be very mindful that um, in addition to the fact that our students are consistently coming up short when it comes to performance standards in their educational experience, but on an increasing basis, it's not just that they don't know all that much, but that oftentimes what they know is distorted because there's an agenda afoot. Joining me now is Brad Dacus, constitutional lawyer, founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute. And and part of this tale 
in terms of the impact of so-called wokeism, Brad, and Happy New Year, by the way, and great to have you with us for the start of a brand new year. Uh, but part of this tale goes to an experience by a long-term, highly respected public school teacher, a gentleman who had um, retired from the uh, full-time classroom teaching at the high school level, went on to the collegiate level, and um, apparently was quite well-respected there as well. But Martin Paulson had some challenges in relationship to what you and I, I think, on the surface would say are just, you know, innocuous comments that all of a sudden are being used as sort of, uh, I don't know, the, the battle lines being drawn. So give us some insights in terms of the experiences of Martin Paulson and and why in the end the the impact of so-called woke culture ended up leaving this gentleman a pretty miserable individual. Yeah, here we're dealing with uh, a professor uh, who is true to education, which is uh, in favor of critical thinking, promote, promoting critical thinking, um, ideas, thought, uh, a professor who's not devoid of principle, of fairness. He's uh, someone who asks the questions, and uh, when we see society going off in a, in a direction that is uh, in any way tyrannical. Um, and so he's a, a professor who has a strong character. Uh, he's... Uh, you know, articulated his, uh, you know, his, his perspective, and it was deemed, uh, you know, there, there's no room in the woke community for apparently any um, disagreement. Uh, you must comply, uh, you must uh, agree, uh, or you be, you'll be eliminated. And it's this kind of uh, outrageous intolerance, unfortunately, Craig, that we see permeating throughout uh, public education, particularly our universities across the country, in an alarming manner, costing a professor literally their jobs. Yeah, and, you know, in in this story in particular, there were at least two cases of hypersensitive individuals that, quote-unquote, reported their concerns, one of which I, I, I find quite appalling in that, you know, if there's anything that we can probably conclude as Americans, and that is that we've had a difficult time over recent years hearing each other, being able to shut up long enough to listen to each other's stories and learn from each other's experiences. I know certainly as a European-American that that's true in my case, that there's much that I can learn from the experience of African-Americans and, and what life is like for them and the challenges that they face. And, and, you know, I think that's true, again, for, for all of us. And yet, sadly, this is a case where somehow somebody thought that encouraging a young African-American to share his experience so that we can all learn from it was shut down as part of woke politics to the point where this poor teacher was basically told, you know, either uh, get along with the program or get out. Yeah, and, and this this teacher is one who um, here's the the irony is is that, is that uh, he's someone who is for furthering understanding. His actions were uh, for for furthering uh, understanding uh, and, uh, and being sensitive. Um, it's just the the the, the end conclusions uh, were not comporting with the the agenda and the mandates and. Uh, 
and the, the script, if you will, that is now being dictated and crammed down the throats of our colleges, but also being required by our professors. Uh, and uh, this professor is, is one such individual uh, who uh, has, has faced the, uh, the brunt of this uh, very uh, frightful, intolerant uh, sort of uh, censorship, if you will, that is very, very destructive and damaging for education, and particularly for higher education. Well, especially when we're trying to, you know, advance um, a greater sense of unity, parity, understanding, level playing field, all of that. And yet here is an example where um, uh, legitimately a teacher is trying to encourage one student to share their experience with the other student so it can be part of the the broader teaching lesson, broader part of, of, again, trying to come to greater understanding amongst us. And instead, the college basically it gave Paulson a choice between resigning or taking a semester off without pay and completing quote, quote, so-called cultural sensitivity training. Since when is asking somebody else to share their experience to help us all learn culturally insensitive? I, I don't get that. Yeah, it's actually the opposite. It's actually promoting cultural sensitivity. Uh, but this is their agenda. They, they have a, uh, an end result. They have an end messaging. And, uh, and if they think that uh, what's being said or what's being shared in any way goes against their radical wokeism, uh, then they're against it, uh, you know, at any price, including the price of understanding, sensitivity, and quality education and promoting critical thought. So that's, uh, that's a classic, unfortunately, Craig, of what we're seeing at Pacific Justice Institute in terms of both public education as well as in higher learning and universities, even uh, uh, private universities, uh, and so parents need to be very much on guard when they uh, enroll their child in a university or college, knowing that it's not the same as it used to be 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, it's it, they're actually actually very very dangerous uh, for purposes of, of promoting critical thinking, understanding, and just a, a healthy environment, not a perspective not only of themselves but also of others. And other and other groups. So it's um, it's it, this is just a, a, a an example, a sample of what we're seeing. I believe, on a much larger scale. Well, and sadly, I think, Counselor, if at the end of the day the focus is on teaching young minds how to think, and they study, they do the research, they draw their own conclusions, and they turn into activists. If they reach that conclusion, absent pressure. And through their own volition, I think that's a good thing. The problem here is that on a grander scale, we're not seeing so much education taking place in the public arena, but rather activism. And it's training young students to be activists, apart from their own sense of drawing their own conclusions and doing these actions out of their own uh, desire and through their own um, research and their own growth and development. And that's a very dangerous thing. We need to recognize the growing danger of this and that schools, public or private, should not be places of advocacy, but rather education. And once a child is educated and they think for themselves and then they stand for the beliefs that they believe in, that's a good thing. But when we're forcing it down their throats as part of an agenda, 
That's not such a good thing. Brad Dake is constitutional lawyer, founder, and president of the Pacific Justice Institute. We appreciate the time and the update. Information available on the web, pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. 520 here on your uh, Basic Tuesday, fourth day of January. Craig Roberts with you tonight. We're going to um, pivot to a topic that um, some people may say, well, I I think I know all there is to know about that. But uh, you might find by the end of our conversation tonight, uh, that's not necessarily the case or discover that there's a whole lot to know about the topic of propaganda. Now, when we think about propaganda, I think historically many of us over a certain age think of things like the Soviet Union's Pravda, Germany's Ministry of Propaganda, and the use and control of the press by the government to not only shape opinion and minds, but ultimately in some of the extreme cases, like in the case of Nazi Germany, to, uh, to control thinking and control behavior. But is that singularly an arm of control used and manipulation used by dictators? Or do even we in the West have a degree to which we engage in propaganda? Well, certainly we've seen in the last century a move not just in this country but elsewhere to to understand that whoever controls the information ends up controlling essentially the dialogue and that the ability of presidencies and governments to bypass news media and essentially go unfiltered direct, where they get their message out with no filtering criticism or questions posed by a free press, and essentially allows them to control the dialogue. We saw this in this country on an official basis at the start of World War II, where the Office of War Information was created under the Roosevelt administration to certainly disseminate details related to the war and progress on same, but also used in a large way to sort of rally support for the war. And using this as a tool to rally support for military engagement has continued for many, many years varying degrees of success. We saw it used by Johnson during the Vietnam War. We certainly saw it used quite heavily by the Bush administration leading into the Gulf War and then eventually the war on Iraq. Not all the information necessarily shared is complete or accurate. Sometimes, in fact, it's wholly made up just in order to sway public opinion to gain public support. And we're even seeing this used now in an effort to try and sway public opinion to sway the opinion of Congress, to essentially get Congress to do the bidding of the executive branch. So what of this notion of propaganda? Just how widespread is it and how potentially dangerous can it be to free societies and democracies? With some insights, we're joined now by the host of the longest-running libertarian talk show in the country, Bob Zadek. Bob Zadek is a CPA and lawyer by trade. He's also a constitutional historian. His program is heard locally here in the San Francisco Bay Area every Sunday morning at 8 a.m., where he tackles these and other critical issues. And, Bob, as always, 
Good to have you with us, and a happy new year to you. Uh, thank you, and the same to you, Craig. And what an interesting subject you have teed up for us this evening, and how relevant it is. Um, we have just lived through a year of uh, being told conflicting information about COVID, being told by public officials. And the question that you have teed up, it's, to me, one of the most difficult issues confronting our democracy, indeed any democracy. And I'll summarize the question and then drill down. The question in the broader sense is, is it ever appropriate, is it ever proper for government officials to intentionally lie to the public in order to persuade the public to support governmental actions, which the government truly believes to be the right thing to do, but is fearful that the public will not support it. Let's take an example that I suspect is fresh in everybody's mind. Not the most significant example, but one we all recall. It was only a year ago that we were told by health officials that do not buy masks, they do no good. Why were we told that? The public officials now explain that they knew that wasn't true, but they were afraid that if the public went out and bought all the masks, there was an insufficient supply, there would be not enough masks for the people who, in government's opinion, really needed it, which were healthcare workers and the like. So in order to make sure there were enough masks for them, we were lied to. Now, the government didn't lie to us for reasons of getting reelected. They didn't lie to us for personal gain. They lied to us because they felt we couldn't be trusted with the truth. Now, let us assume they really believed it that if the public wasn't lied to, there would be a detriment to the country at large. Was that the right decision? Or, and I ask each one listening to us this evening, to ask themselves, is it okay for the government to lie to us in order to protect the country at large? Take another example. Take another example. You mentioned Lyndon Johnson. Lyndon Johnson lied to us about what happened in the Bay of Tonkin, for the, uh, which started the Vietnam War. He did so because he urgently needed public support for a war that he felt was essential. Or take uh, the Bush administration, where many may have intentionally lied to us about WMD, weapons of mass destruction. Go back to 1898, when we were lied to by the government and by the media that the battleship Maine was attacked um, in Central America, which started the Spanish-American War, and on and on and on. So I'm not asking whether it's okay for government to lie in order for the elected official to be reelected. That's clearly not proper. But what if government truly believes that it's the, the country is better off if the people are lied to? 
is their duty to tell us the truth and hope for the best or to lie to us and not worry about the the public at large reaching the wrong conclusion and forcing a change in a policy which the government believes is the proper policy. That's where we start, Craig. And boy, is that a hard issue. Well, and I think what's particularly frustrating about this subject matter, Bob, is that, you know, I think most folks um, kind of draw the conclusion that we anticipate politicians to lie, they will manipulate, they will, uh, you know, with the old adage, how do you know a politician is lying when his lips are moving, things of that sort. And we know that to the greatest degree, this is often done in order to either escape accountability for something or paint themselves in a better light, all with the idea that they want to manipulate the electorate in order to make sure they, they get to spend another term in office. It goes on all the time. I suspect it goes on from the city council level and certainly all the way up to the office of the presidency. Manipulation of the facts in order to try and sway public opinion to be more favorable on you for the purposes of being elected or reelected may be one thing. I'm not saying it's excusable behavior, but I think it's behavior that we have largely, as the public, good, bad, or indifferent, come to understand, maybe even embrace at certain levels, that this is just what politicians do. But when it gets to the heart of using information for the purpose of manipulating public opinion to sway said public opinion in the promotion of an agenda, an agenda that might include engagement in a world war or spending of hundreds of millions of dollars in cash that goes to uh, not only stand behind the United States military, but eventually claim American lives in the process of supporting that manipulation done by uh, leadership. Um, and, and we suddenly have taken this to a whole new level. Certainly in recent memory, uh, this has been one of the biggest uh, sort of uh, scars on the legacy of Bush 43, the talk about weapons of mass destruction, the impeding doom looming over us by Saddam Hussein, his country's support for acts of terrorism against the United States. All of these things were conveniently packaged in bundles in such a way that support for U.S. military intervention overseas was garnered into what ultimately became America's longest running war. And now we find out much of the information used to support that war, to gain the public's acceptance of military engagement, the expenditure of both money as well as life, was ultimately built on a lie. Now, what the end of the game was, who knows? And I suppose this is maybe just another example of the notion that the ends does not justify the means, though certainly I think you would have found members of the Bush administration, Bush 43, trying to promote that idea. So this 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 is something that kind of sits on the razor's edge between, you know, lies and manipulation that's just simply for the purpose of wanting to get reelected to lies and manipulation that has sometimes a much darker and sadly far more evil result to it. And, Craig, let's make it very clear. Imagine, and I ask our listeners individually, to roll 
the role play and imagine you have a high governmental position and you have very good information, highly reliable, you truly believe it, that the government should do or refrain from doing something that's very, very unpopular. But you know, unpopular though it may be, it is important for the well-being of the country. You, you know that as much as you know anything. The only way to get the public behind you to do something that you truly believe is in the country's best interest, the only way to win support for that is to lie to the public. Now, what is your duty? To lie to the public in order to do to cause the country to do something that you truly believe is essential? Or is your duty to be truthful a higher duty and you must be truthful to the American public, even though being truthful may cause harm to the country? Wow, what a hard decision that is. And then, assuming you're struggling with that, to make it really hard, Craig, to make everybody's head explode, let's say the government has information on which it's basing a decision. It doesn't. It wants the public to support it. Is the government's duty to treat the country like a jury and make sure that the country hears both arguments so they can collectively decide or should the government cook the books and only tell the persuasive side that the government wants so as to cause the public to support the decision should the government present information to the public which the government believes might end up causing the government itself to reach the wrong conclusion because of the voting public Wow, are those hard decisions. And the hardest of all, Craig, if you say the government's duty is to lie, that's because the government doesn't trust the judgment of the public. Well, if the government doesn't trust the judgment of the public, what does that say about democracy? Does that mean democracy is doomed to fail because the public can't be trusted? Craig, these are weighty, hard, if not momentous issues to talk about this you could spend an evening with your friends a delicious evening debating just this little part of the conversation we have had just now and i think perhaps as the start of the new year here as we mentioned there is a midterm election facing us um we're coming through yet another significant surge related to covid Um, we have no idea ultimately what 2022 is going to look like Um, But the notion that somehow there is a layer within our country that knows better than the rest of us and that somehow the general public cannot be trusted with the truth to make a proper decision and therefore almost like a one-year-old child that needs to be coddled and directed at every turn, that somehow it is acceptable to withhold information albeit even to manipulate information, for the purpose of edging the opinion, public opinion, in a certain direction 
because somebody within government, I don't care what the level is, be it elected government or some bureaucrat, that has concluded that they know better than the American people, and therefore it should be up to them to control the narrative in order to direct Americans to con- the conclusion that they feel is in the best interest of them. I think you're right. That begins to raise serious questions about just how much of a risk that kind of behavior is to the very survival of democracy itself. Because let's face it, if we are engaged in this business of self-governance and we do so without access to complete information, I understand there are times of war when not everything can be laid out on the table. I I get that. But generally speaking, the minute there is a layer, an echelon within the United States or American society that thinks it knows better than the rest of us and is not willing to trust us to make up our own minds as the information, as the factual information is presented to us, then you have to wonder whether or not, in fact, democracy as we know it is doomed. Bob Zadek with us tonight, host of The Bob Zadek Show. He, of course, is a CPA, a lawyer, constitutional historian. His program can be heard here in the Bay Area every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. We invite you to tune in for that. Check out his website, too. Information about past guests, podcasts, upcoming guests, all kinds of great resources available to you there at bobzadek.com. That's B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. We take a time out, back with more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Tackling both a fascinating and, um, quite frankly, timely topic related to the issue of government manipulation of information to essentially manipulate the thinking and ultimately the voting and support of the general public. And, you know, I, I, I get the fact that people like P.T. Barnum said there's a sucker born every minute. If you look at people that get pulled into scams, be it, you know, multi-level marketing stuff or uh, the, the myriad of scams that visit us on a daily basis on the Internet, there's, there's certainly a level of vulnerability. But then do we say that somehow we've reached a point in America where a certain group have decided that they know better, that they can better be trusted with the whole facts, the entirety of the information, than the general public. And so they will make up the general public's mind by feeding the general public information on their behalf that will sway opinion in a certain direction. Now, rallying the troops in order to come together for a united cause, that might be one thing, but just how far does this go? And ultimately, how much of a threat is it to democracy. With us today is best-selling author, syndicated talk show host, constitutional historian Bob Zadak. His program, again, is heard Saturday morning. I'm sorry, Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. here in the San Francisco Bay Area on 860 a.m. The Answer, where Bob every week tackles issues similar to this that are vitally important for not just the, the, the give and take of the national dialogue, but at some layers vital to the very survival of democracy. And I know, Bob, there are some listening to our conversation right now that might say, well, Craig, that seems to be a pretty extreme exaggeration. But I have to wonder, is it really? If there is an echelon within the country that thinks they know better 
and is going to control the narrative in order to control support or the mindset or the voting direction of the American people in order to do, even if it might be, to their viewpoint, uh, very laudable altruistic ideas. But nevertheless, the notion that suddenly that kind of manipulation is taking place seems to me to be a pretty serious wake-up call for democracy. Well, it, 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 it's interesting you say that, Craig, because um, the manipulation, and I'll go into some details in, the, in a few seconds, um, in a way that our public might not be so aware of, but it's indisputable. But before I do that, I just want to preface my sharing of information with the following thought. To the extent that the those in power in government, in the executive or legislative branches of government, to the extent that they manipulate the truth, and I'll give examples just so you don't think that I'm just being somewhat uh, too much hyperbole, but the reason they manipulate the truth, it's only one reason, because they don't trust us with the truth. And they say to themselves, as you said, the elitist mentality that they are smart. They can take the facts that they know and they could use those facts to reach the right decision. But if the public knew the facts, the public not being as smart would reach the wrong conclusion. Therefore, we have to be protected from the facts. Now, let me give you just a few examples, because there are hundreds of examples. We all know, just from being around, that uh, certain information in, in the public domain, in the public sphere, is available. You can demand the government share information through what's called the Freedom of Information Act, a FOIA request. You can say, give me that document, other than certain documents with that you cannot get, because they are, and here's the word everybody knows, classified. Classified means it is against the public interest to share this document with the public. Now, who gets to decide? Well, people who don't want to be embarrassed by what the public might find out. People who are concerned that if the public saw this document, they might not be supportive of certain governmental actions, wars, um, uh, battlefield skirmishes, uh, condemnation of land, whatever it is. So the very power of government to say this is none of your business is itself a manipulation. It means certain people can be trusted with the information, but not others. We, the public, have no control over that process. Indeed, the courts have no control over the process. Another example, even closer to home, is the government's control, and I'll explain what I mean by control, lest I sound like a conspiracy theorist, the government control over the media. We have a movie. Let's take Top Gun. A lot of military hardware in Top Gun. Well, if you were the producer making the movie Top Gun, you sure want to have access to um, 
the Air Force base right here in Southern California. You want to have access to hardware and airplanes and hangars. Well, you need that access from the government. And the government would be happy to give you access, without which you couldn't make the movie. But in exchange for access, the government says, we have to approve the script. Oh, we don't like how you portrayed this soldier. We don't like how you portrayed this general. You better change the script or we don't support it. Every movie that requires the use of government hardware has to be approved by the Department of Defense. In World War II, the Department of Defense hired Hollywood directors to make movies which were clearly propaganda, the word you use in opening the show, clearly done to get support for the war effort. Now, one can say it's important to have support. The war was a good thing. What if the war was a bad thing? What if the war was more like Vietnam? Is it still okay for the government to sponsor the making of movies without saying they're expressly doing so in order to propagandize? That sounds kind of creepy. That's like those movies we saw that Hitler made or the movies that, that uh, the USSR made to promote its ends. It's kind of creepy to me. But the U.S. government, specifically DOD, is deeply involved and always has been in the motion picture industry. Is that appropriate or is that creepy? Well, I don't know. I'm not sure. But I sure would invite people to at least discuss it and think about it. And to the extent that the government manipulates us, they don't trust us. If they don't trust us, why should we have the right to vote? If we can't be trusted with information, how can we be trusted with our right to vote? It questions democracy. Craig, these are hard issues. And all I would hope to happen is people sit around the dinner table, go out with their friends, and in between courses or on the golf course, just talk about the issue. Because it's not discussed. I'm not advocating a position. I'm advocating think about it and see if you're happy with the state of affairs or see if it should be changed. And, Craig, um, I'll turn the mic over to you with this question. Craig, if you were in charge, you were the, at top, and you had information that if the public knew, the country would, be, would suffer you truly believe that you're a patriot would you say i cannot harm the country i love i must withhold the information or i have a duty to the people who elected me i have to share the information because that's where my duty lies craig what would you do i don't know what i would do yeah and, and i don't know that i could answer that question i know for listeners they're going to think i'm just trying to take the easy way out here but i guess the answer ultimately is it would depend now that seems to run contrary into the premise that i began with at the top of the hour that is to suggest that all forms of propaganda or manipulation of public opinion by either the granting of manipulation of or withholding of information is at all times wrong and inappropriate and, and, I, and I guess what makes this so complex, Bob, is if there are good actors involved that have genuinely heartfelt best interests of the nation at heart, does that make it 
any different? And of course, the answer to that question, too, is, well, it just depends, because you can be wholeheartedly sincere about the reasoning behind the manipulation of the data and yet have a very fatal, flawed outcome. And so you're right, Bob, at the end of the day, my, my, this is, this is not just a political question that we have to grapple with, but at the core, it's a vital moral question that at some layers, at some levels, goes deep to the heart of the potential risk to the future of our country and democracy. So therefore, therefore, we started with propaganda. We started with, you've introduced today's topic with, with almost explanation points in your tone. The government is giving us propaganda. The government is manipulating us. And here we are, 40 minutes later, not able to decide, because I can't either. You and I cannot decide whether we would be the manipulator under certain circumstances. We're not sure we wouldn't do the same thing. So what does that tell us about the operation of democracy? Are voters to be trusted with some information, but not a lot? Are they to be trusted with all information? Or is democracy, does it have a weakness, which is the voter might be wrong and they might self-destruct? Man, these are tough issues. Yeah, and, and, you know, in a day and an age when our founding fathers were here, this might have been an easier um, question to answer only because uh, the length of time that it took for news to move from one end of the country was measured in weeks. Um, there could be um, the slow trickle release of of information that could then, the response to which could then be measured before disseminated on a more um, broad tier. Uh, unfortunately, those days are behind us, and now uh, news gets out before the entirety of even what's happened. <laughs> Something happened, news at 11. So uh, the, the, the notion of being able to control the narrative anymore um, is becoming a bigger and bigger challenge. And sadly, you've got so many people that have so many um, diverse interests, not all of which are in harmony with the best interests of our nation or democracy that really complicates this in ways that not even our founding fathers, I believe, could have anticipated. And I would say the takeaway, Craig, for our listeners is that control of information is almost is as important as control of the weapons. Look how powerful control of the information is. When you control the information, you control the mind. When you control the mind, you control the person. Um, it's scary. And we are fighting right now on so many fronts over who gets to own data, who gets to own the data about you. Data is information. The, the, the battle, the weapon the most powerful weapon of all is control of information. And for our listeners, we should jealously make, jealously guard where we get our information from and who controls it. And any form of censorship is scary because censorship is like taking away the guns, but on steroids. Because if you take away information, you totally disarm 
the American voter. And so the subject is, when we're talking about propaganda, we're talking about control of information. And this is a very important topic that gets almost no attention. And look how important it can be made to be. Yeah, and you're right. Um, You know, the old adage, who controls the information controls the hearts and minds. And uh, there are lessons here, um, not to start borrowing from novelists like uh, uh, Huxley or Orwell, but there are lessons here that I think all of us need to be very mindful of. And this is... This is a complicated subject matter, and uh, Bob's absolutely right. You know, this might get some uh, some dander up at the, the next family gathering, but I, I think opening up this conversation uh, is important. Can we ultimately, as Americans, be trusted with information? Can we be trusted to make the right decision? And for the information that's out there, Bob is right. Censorship can be a very dangerous thing. It can be a game changer and not in a good way. As much as manipulation of the data to control a public opinion and ultimately support can equally be as dangerous. Bob Zadek tackles these sorts of topics every week on his program. We invite you to make an effort to tune in, check him out Sunday mornings, 8 a.m., on 860 AM, The Answer for The Bob Zadek Show. Information available about his books, past guests, podcasts, and all at his website, bobzadek.com. That's B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. Bob, we appreciate the time. We'll talk to you again next week. KFAX, streaming now on iHeart and the Odyssey app. Portions of our programming may be pre-recorded.